You know, it's weird because there's some people now through seven games that actually believe that Tennessee just flat out can't win on the road, which I find that preposterous. But hostile environments have been a problem for the University of Tennessee, and that's where we get started today here on the Checkerboard Chatter. You know who that guy is to the right, Noah Taylor. To that guy, that is Ryan Sylvia. Ryan, I'll just get started with you. Yes, we'll recap Bama. Yes, Kentucky. Should the beer barrel come back? Yada, yada, yada. But Ryan, does Tennessee have a hostile environment problem? Because it seemed like at times, especially after a can you fair catch what is not a it seemed like that Tennessee at times was a little shell shock coming out of the locker room in the second half. After the Florida game, I thought it was uh, that was a fair kind of point to make where after Florida, that was definitely an issue and the pre-snap procedure penalties were definitely something to worry about. And then you looked back to 2022 and the South Carolina game, the Georgia game, there were similar issues, but that wasn't my takeaway after the Alabama game. I thought there were a lot more glaring issues that were the reason Tennessee came out in that second half and obviously did not play to the level that they did in the first half. So there's still worries about how they play on the road. I think that if you want to be skeptical on the difference that this team has at home versus on the road, I think that's fair to be skeptical of it. But I wouldn't say that that was my takeaway coming out of the Alabama game by any means. What was your takeaway from the Alabama game? I mean, personally, I'm choosing to take more away from the first half than the second half and look at what this team can do and look at the level Joe Milton can play at. There's the obvious issues in the second half. Uh, the offense couldn't really go anywhere. It doesn't help when when you have that whole point to the sky, pin yourself back to the four-yard line. It doesn't help when the defense is all of a sudden giving up big plays and can't stop the quarterback run and all these things. But for me, I, I was looking more at the first half, looking at what they did effectively, looking at what the defense did uh getting after the quarterback, which they couldn't really do as much in the second half, looking at how the offense operated, how Joe Milton hit on his throws. And, and I'm taking more away from the success they had to start that game than I am the meltdown they had to finish it. Noah, as one listener pointed out to me at a remote face-to-face, -face, you trying to tell me they can see this to start a kickoff, but they can't see this on Tyler Barron? To which I said, yeah, you got a point. Also, I thought he was going to fight me for some reason, but I was also worried. I'm sure he probably watches this as well, but he's got a point. Does Alabama, for whatever reason, have some kind of – is it similar to the Florida aspect of things, Noah? You know how some people go, well, Ivan's playing Gainesville. Hoodoo, voodoo, you just can't win down there. Or is Nick Saban just that good of a coach? Did Tennessee poop their pants, or did is Nick Saban just good at making adjustments? Uh, I, I definitely think it's more that Nick Saban's good at making adjustments. You know, I, you know, it, it didn't surprise me. I think I, I, I told Ryan at halftime of that game, I, I've never felt more confident in a Tennessee lead at halftime than I did. Yeah. Just with the way the offense was clicking. That was kind of the first resemblance of what we saw last year with the way they were hitting some downfield shots, moving the ball effectively. And then obviously the way the defense was playing, I think I told somebody in the press box that I just don't see how Jalen Milrow can score on this, score two more times on this defense without Tennessee putting up some points as well. Clearly that didn't happen, and I think that is more of a credit to Nick Saban. He's the best coach probably ever uh, at the college football level anyway, and I think that he's kind of the king of halftime adjustments. So I do think that helped, 
I do, do think that that's the main reason Alabama came out and played the way that they did. But I, I think it is fair to, to maybe say, hey, there were a couple of calls here and there that, that definitely pinned Tennessee back, uh, literally and figuratively, obviously with the, the fair catch call that, that put them back at the four-yard line. But uh, I do think that there were some things in there maybe that, that probably went uncalled or, or maybe shouldn't have been called. Um, gosh, and they were in critical moments. I think of the Gabe Judilale hold uh, that was called that, that definitely could have been, you know, ignored uh, there that, that kept an Alabama drive going. So I do think some of that played a factor in that game, but ultimately I do think that, that it's just that Nick Saban's good at making adjustments and that's what Alabama did. It helped that they were at home as well. We'll, we'll, we'll move forward after this. Cause I just want to make sure for anybody out there who's still super angry about it, we can just address it. Tennessee lose this game because of officiating Noah. No, I don't think so. I, I think it's hard to completely justify that when you give up 27 points in the second half and, and you don't score at all. Uh, I think it's hard to blame that completely on officiating. I think there were a lot of factors at play, uh, the play calling, some of the decision-making on fourth and short, um, you know, things like that. A lot of self-inflicted wounds, again, as well for yes. Tennessee. I, I do think that, you know, there were some things there. The penalties did set them back, but ultimately, again, I, I think that that was more on Tennessee uh, and not the officiating. Ryan, did Tennessee lose this game because of officiating? No, I, I think it's other reasons Noah just hit on. Okay. Of course, it doesn't help you, but, I mean, you give up 27, you don't score any. You can't blame the officiating. That's on you. What does the loss of Kamal Haddon mean for this Tennessee football team, Ryan? It's funny because last year he's bumping gums on the sideline with South Carolina. Every camera shot is him barking, and he hasn't had the strongest game. It looks like he makes a business decision on a tackle of choices against Florida. Mm -hmm. But since then, this man was ranked not just in the SEC, but in FBS, pass breakups, eliminating plays of explosive yardage to a certain extent. I mean, there's some numbers and stats people don't pay attention to because you're a, your position is to make sure nobody scores and to knock the ball down. All those things he started doing. Uh, look, I know he wasn't the most popular person. Some Tennessee fans already had their mind made up, but the guy was improving, and this is a loss, and I dare say a significant loss for Tennessee's secondary. Yeah, I, I think it could be a big deal, and I think that Florida game was kind of a turning point. He, he has a big game against UTSA. He obviously has that huge pick six right before half against South Carolina. He seals the A&M game with another great play, and and all throughout that, too, he, he's playing great coverage. He's not targeted as much as he used to be and when he is he was defending receivers well and making sure he wasn't giving up those big plays and I don't think that it's uh unfair to say at all that he was the best cornerback on the team uh, this season so now you have to look at who's going to replace him obviously on the other side it's going to be Gabe Judy Lolly who who I think's played pretty decently to this point in the year as a starter then you're gonna have to look at Danico Slaughter being that other guy that steps in in the cornerback position, which this isn't anything against Nico Slaughter. Maybe he comes out and has another game like he did last year against Kentucky, where he was the best player on the field, it felt like. But I think that's a good point. I think that's a significant step back from Kamal Haddon uh, is a Danico Slaughter. And it kind of similar to when Keenan Peely went out for the year or for what feels like the year, and it kind of pushed the timeline up for everyone else behind him. It's going to do the same with the guys behind Kamal Haddon, too, where now Danico Slaughter is pushing that starting role, and, and some of the other guys behind him at cornerback are pushing to maybe that second-string role, that third-string role, and are going to have to see more time. Surprise, Ryan didn't bring up what Warren Burrell there, Noah, because immediately I start looking at some of those 
eligible or some of those available players, Tennessee better hope that they can keep everybody healthy because now that you've lost Kamal Haddon for the year, you're a sprained ankle pull hamstring away from it not being a serious situation to a dire situation in the secondary. You're just losing bodies right now. Yeah, and the thing about Danico Slaughter, too, and, and, you know, that Kentucky game last year came to mind when he moved over to corner, and like Ryan said, was, was kind of like the best player on the field, came up with a huge hit that set up a turnover on a, that ended a Kentucky drive in that game, um, played really well. But the thing to remember about him, too, is he's also kind of coming back from injury. I mean, he, yeah. he's kind of missed some games, too, and, and Warren Burrell obviously is back but missed all of la- pretty much all of last year with an injury. So I think you're right. I mean, it's something to definitely keep an eye on. Uh, with some guys that may not be 100% healthy themselves coming back. Uh, Ryan, Noah joining the program. I look over at Tennessee right now, and I got to ask a question that I think is probably the difference in the Alabama game. They rank 10th right now in the SEC in red zone efficiency. We're not coordinators, but if you had to take a shot in the dark, I'll start with you, Noah. How does Tennessee attempt to shore up some of the issues they have once they get into the 20-yard line? Look, you got Joe Milton who's got to make that throw against uh, make that throw to Jacob Warren. Yeah. I mean, we're talking fingertips. If maybe if Tennessee subs one three for a six, or they both are sixes and not threes, maybe they still lose. But I can tell you one thing, 24 to seven sounds a whole lot better than 20 to seven at halftime. Yeah, yeah Joe's got to make some throws, but it just seems like both the running game and the receiving, it just, it's allergic to finding six at times when they're in the red zone. Yeah, and we wrote a little bit about that yesterday because I think Josh Heupel was, was asked that, oh. um, you know, about about what's what's kind of been the issue down there in the red zone. And, right. you know, Heupel kind of pointed to a lot of things, efficiency being one, uh, penalties, things like that. And, you know, obviously the Jacob Warren throw in the first half comes to mind. Like you said, they do get points out of those trips, but, you know, touchdowns would be a huge difference, especially when you're shut out in the second half. Imagine if you score, like you said, you trade those field goals for touchdowns, your score's a little bit safer there at the half, which would have been huge. And then you got to, you know, Tennessee had a chance to make that a touchdown game in the red zone in the fourth quarter and came up empty, um, you know, there. So, yeah, I, I think that's – I don't really know what exactly needs to be fixed or what – you know, like you said, I'm, I'm not a coordinator, so I don't know what they can do better down there. But uh, it's clear that, that you know, it, it's like I say, it's a game of inches and, and they've had been inches away from putting touchdowns on the board a couple times this year. And now we're, what, eight games in, seven games in, and you kind of have to start asking, are they going to get that fixed at this point? Ryan, are they going to get it fixed? Um, you know, I'm not sure if they're going to get fixed. And you look back to last year, and it felt automatic once they crossed like the 35 yard line. It felt like once they got the ball rolling, and they not even the red zone yet, but once they got right. to their side of the field, it was like, yeah, this team's about to find the end zone, and it just hasn't been that this year. And some of it you can put on play calling. Some of it is just simply execution, like like you mentioned, the throw to Jacob War, and that Joe Mullen's got a hit on, but. I mean, we've seen that they're capable of it. We saw the pass to Castles in the end zone, which was a great throw facing pressure from Milton, literally backpedaling in the pocket and just kind of gets it off and it's perfect. And if you can do that, then sure, this team can fix it. But from what we've seen so far, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm completely confident that Tennessee is going to go four for four in the red zone against Kentucky with four touchdowns. Coming up in the next four minutes, we're going to find out if, in fact, Ryan and Noah are conspiracy theory. Oh, conspiracy theory gurus, 
conspiracy theorists, if they believe in anything they read on the internet. Kentucky is this weekend, gentlemen. You guys, let's be honest, are going to Bucky's and then happen to be covering a football game. <laughs> let's be honest. We're not nobody willingly goes to Lexington unless they have to work. It's horse racing and bourbon. I'll say it again. And I've already made that joke locally on the air this week. Gentlemen, I just made a comment about hey, Tennessee can't win in Gainesville. You just can't beat Nick Saban. Uh, I grew up in this city saying death taxes in Tennessee beating Kentucky. They're 34 and three since I've been alive. I mean, there's a stretch where I was just like, oh, Kentucky's on the schedule. That's cool. Give me that auto dub. Uh, I still think you can say auto dub. Do you believe that, Ryan? Do you believe water's wet, the sun sets in the West, and that Tennessee just beats Kentucky? Because I'm looking at a three and a half point line this weekend in Lexington going, eh, you better. You better be careful. Hell, if there's anybody out there who thought Devin Leary was going to be double, triple better than Will Levis, this guy, and <laughs> Mark Stoop goes, oh, you want to throw the ball more than 22 times? Not happening. Sorry, bud. Where are you on Tennessee, Kentucky this weekend, Ryan? I'll let you throw any element, element into the bowl you want. It, it does almost feel like you can chalk that one up as one of the preseason, which is crazy because Kentucky under Mark Stoops has been a, a, a really solid football team. But I, I always joke, every time a Tennessee team loses to Kentucky, that coach gets fired that year the next year. It, yeah. That is, whenever Kentucky catches Tennessee, it is usually when Tennessee is at the very end of a coach's tenure. So I, I always kind of found that funny. Uh, I, I don't buy completely into the streaks and stuff, though. Every game is a new game. And that's kind of like that coach talk that you'll get from Hypo if you ever ask Hypo something like that. Uh, you know, every every week is a new week. Every game's a new game. So I do buy into that, but I think you do have to put some into the fact that Kentucky just hasn't been able to beat Tennessee. And even under Josh Hypo, Kentucky hasn't been able to do it. When Tennessee goes to Lexington, Hypo's first year, and Kentucky's got a pretty good shot to win two in a row over Tennessee – they can't do it. Josh Heifel goes into Lexington and wins in a shootout. The next year, you go to Tennessee, who's very highly ranked at that point, and expected to win, but it's not even a ball game when a lot of people thought that could have been a, a sneaky, really good game. So it, I'm not going to sit here and say just because Kentucky can't beat Tennessee in the past, there's no shot they beat Tennessee on Saturday, but I am pretty confident that Tennessee comes up with a win in Lexington. Go ahead, Noah. Look into the camera and say there's no chance Kentucky beats Tennessee Saturday. Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to go, you know, agree with Ryan. I, it's hard, you know, to, to sit here and buy into the whole superstition thing. But uh, it's also hard to, to not give it a little bit of, of credit, though, as well. Because, I mean, there's been, like he said, there's been some some times where Tennessee was kind of coming into that game struggling. And, and these Mark Stoops teams look better. One that comes to mind is Jeremy Pruitt's first year. That was, a, I think, a top-10 Kentucky team. And, and granted, it was a Neyland, but, man, Tennessee put it on them in that game. So They got drugged for four quarters, Noah. Yeah. And I'm, not, yeah. I'm sitting here going, why am I covering this football? Oh. <laughs> and even yeah. Mark Stoops looked like he was about to have a, a, a something removed in surgery, if you get what I'm saying. He, yeah. It, as one of the as one of the internet memes says, I'm straight up having a bad time, and that is exactly what he was having that afternoon. Yeah, and I, I think it's I think it is interesting that there's been a, a lot of kind of examples like that in that streak. I don't know if that will play a factor this week. Um, I, I lean more towards feeling better about Tennessee because I think Tennessee's the better team in this game, but I do think that does work in Tennessee's favor 
if it is a close game. And, and one thing we wrote about yesterday, um, it's maybe not necessarily what you asked, but uh, I, I think what kind of helps Tennessee as well is if they play to to a kind of style of game that Kentucky likes to play, like a slugfest, right? You know, low scoring. That Texas A&M game was huge for Tennessee. Not only did they get a win in, in a critical stretch here, but they proved they can win games like that. And if they, and I know that that second half against Alabama was a forgettable one for the defense, but they play like they did in that first half and really like they've played all season. And it gets to be a low-scoring game. I think Tennessee can can win that way as well. I'm so glad you brought that up because so many people just want to discredit Texas A&M because they're not the top 10 juggernaut that they're always yeah. supposed to be lined up to be. That's a massive win. That defense, yeah. what they were able to do, and I guess it kind of goes hand in hand. How is it Tennessee's rushing def- uh, rushing attack could go up against Texas A&M? And then, oh, but Alabama's is not as good. And it just uh, Because they've got good players too, guys. Yeah. Like, like I, I'm sorry. I feel like every time I come on the chat or I'm talking about listeners on the local show here, and that's okay because it's okay that they're passionate. But then sometimes when you have to grab a piece of paper and go, hey, guys, no, Alabama has the number one roster in college football, and the blue chip ratio says that. A&M is fourth. Now, I get, like, it can it not be the same? Not every peanut butter and jelly sandwich is going to taste the same, but it looks the same. So point being, sometimes every Saturday is different. Just ask Kentucky and Tennessee because Kentucky's had better teams than lost, as you've already pointed out. All right, I'm going to ask the question. Did Michigan give Tennessee? Did Michigan give South Carolina sign stealing things so they could beat them because they were wearing wristbands and they were doing all kinds of dumb things on the sideline? That's the reason why they got blown out last year in Columbia, South Carolina. Huh? I'm gonna check for UFOs out my window. I'm gonna wear tinfoil hats while we do this. Pause. What are your all overall thoughts on the whole Michigan sign stealing? Clearly, something is happening. Jim Harbaugh said the following phrase: "I had no idea it was going." He didn't say no. We're not doing it. He said, I had no idea it was going on, a.k.a. plausible deniability. What are your overall thoughts on the Michigan situation? Can you believe it? And do you believe that last year Michigan may or may not had handed over some special stuff going, read this if you want, when it comes to eliminating potential teams they would run into in the college football playoff? Ryan, I'll start with you. Yeah, first things first, Harbaugh is talking at his rear end when he says yeah, no <laughs> yeah. was yeah, he is. Yeah, but, he is. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> it, it, it looks like Michigan was scouting, it, using that term loosely, these teams that were highly ranked in the college football playoff rankings, and he wanted to, to get that kind of extra edge on them. And one of them was Tennessee because of where they ended up in those initial polls. And even after the loss to Georgia, it looked like if they won out, they were going to sneak themselves into the playoffs with some help that ended up happening. But obviously the loss to South Carolina kind of ruined those plans. As far as Michigan helping out South Carolina, that's where you know I, I'm, I'm not too sure. I'm not saying it didn't happen. And I know that Beamer has done some shady stuff in his assistant coaching career. And I know that the a report came out that Michigan did help some team uh, to try to get a team out of the playoffs. And, and I've seen all this stuff. But for me, that's where I draw the line of where, yeah, it looks like Michigan definitely was stealing signs. And it looks like Tennessee definitely was one of those teams. But as far as helping South Carolina – I'll still need to see more. I'll just say that. So translation, Ryan said, you know, he did it. He's dirty. He's no good. He's a crook. 
Uh, I'm with you, Ryan, just to let you know. I Look, it would not be ethical to come on the air and be like, how dare Because you just don't have enough info. Yeah, uh, and I like to still assume people in this country are innocent until proven guilty, even if all the signs point to them doing it. Uh, but Noah, that being said, one hundred percent of the time when these allegations, no matter where what level on the rung they come out, they're always true. Like, can you name a time somebody was accused of doing something and then it came out going, "That's our bad NCAA here that we thought and you gave that kid shoes." are bad we're sorry this is gonna get messy and i start asking myself one is he pulled before purdue next week two does he make it to the ohio state game at the end of the month the end of november and three there's no chance this team still makes the college football playoff and four yes in fact did he or did he not have a say or have a delivery or call on south carolina I just can't imagine Carolina getting drugged through the dirt for four quarters against Florida and then comes back a week later and then doubles up a Tennessee team that at a time looks unstoppable. But who am I? Yeah, you know, it's hard to say. I guess the Harbaugh question, um, you know, you see a lot of instances where teams will just, you know, say screw the NCAA and and let them dig as much as they want and will. And and Michigan's obviously got a good situation right now with Jim Harbaugh. It's not like a, a Jeremy Pruitt obviously two drastically different things going on, but it's not like a Jeremy Pruitt. Hey, we're, we're, we won three games this year and th- our coach cheated. So, you know, let, let's work with the NCAA to, to get rid of him. You know, it's not one of those situations. Michigan's a, a legitimate national championship caliber team. Yeah. Uh, so it's hard to say if, whether or not they're just going to, um, you know, cut ties with, with Jim Harbaugh. And, and again, like Ryan said, Totally not true that he didn't know this was going on. And, and even if there's some off chance that he did, it's an even worse look that, that the head coach of a, of a major college football program didn't know. With the Tennessee, like whether or not they helped South Carolina, maybe they did. I, you know, I, I don't know how much of a factor it would have played anyway. I, it's not like Tennessee wasn't playing well offensively in that game. You know, they, they scored 38 points. They, they could have scored – at least one more time in that game before Hendon Hooker was hurt. Um, so I, I don't know. Again, I, I'm not a coach, so I don't know how much the, the st- sign stealing would play a factor in a game where you give up, gosh, I guess 63, 62 points, whatever South Carolina scored in that game. But, yeah, m- maybe it happened. Maybe maybe they did hand that stuff over. I mean, obviously Michigan would stand to gain a, a Tennessee loss. So you could see why that why they would be interested in, in helping South Carolina out. But would Michigan, uh, would Michigan stand to have Clemson lose out as well next week? Clemson, yeah. South Carolina. Yeah. They had one loss in that game. I think it was Notre Dame, right? You know, Clemson's one loss going into that game. So, I mean, Carolina they, they eliminated back to back teams. Yeah, from the dam. they were. It, it was funny because when Clemson lost to Notre Dame, it seemed like they were out of the hunt, but things started working in Clemson's favor too. So, going into that last. Certainly, in that last two weeks of the season, Clemson had a legitimate shot to get in, to sneak in that game. And so, yeah, they, they obviously stood something to gain from, from Clemson losing as well. But uh, whether or not that, that played a factor or whether or not it happened, I, I don't really know how much you could say that, that that would have led to Tennessee getting beaten that bad in that game. Cool. Uh, we all know he did it. That's awesome. The same time he starts getting good again and he's off the hot seat. Because <laughs> we all believe in coincidences. Uh, Noah, I'll start with you. Let's go to the wrap-up. Tennessee – I expect you have them beating Kentucky this weekend. Yeah. Before we get into it, yes or no, should they bring back the beer barrel? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I'm, you know, as you guys know, I'm a huge 
tradition, history type guy as far as Tennessee football or college football is concerned. I'd love to see that back. I think that's a, a unique thing between these two teams. And, you know, it, it was funny, McCollin Castles earlier this week, obviously he's a transfer that, that came in from the West Coast. And you kind of made an interesting comment that he, he didn't think – he didn't really consider Kentucky a rival, but it was a big game. Um, and it, like you said, 34-3 and three in your lifetime, it's hard to really say. Yeah. But there's a lot of things there that, that do make it a unique game. It's a, it's a border rivalry. As far as campuses go, it's it's really close to Knoxville, you know, UT and, and Kentucky. So um, I think adding that that aspect um, with, the, with the beer barrel, bringing that back, I think would be really cool to have that back in this rivalry and, and maybe add to it. Um, and obviously Kentucky is a lot more competitive than they were the last time that uh that that beer barrel was around so yeah I'd, I'd love to see it back for sure ryan both campuses serve beer now i don't even care if you found a way to rebrand it as the woodford reserve bourbon jack daniels whiskey barrel they meet in them because who hates money but if i'm mitch barnhart if i'm still the ad i still understand why they haven't brought it back but i can tell you right now and i do have this on good authority Danny White has gone to Mitch Barnhart and asked, hey, can we bring the barrel back for some reason? And Mitch has been, no, 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 no. So I know that Tennessee, the athletic director, has tried to bring the barrel back, but to no avail. Should it be back? Yeah, I, I think it should be back. It, it's one of those things where it's unique. It's fun. You don't see it in any other rivalry game. So in a college football landscape that right now is trending away from all these traditional rivalries and cool trophies and traditions i feel like that's something that's worth bringing back and worth kind of being one of those rare college football things you look at and you kind of go this is why we love college football for these cool trophies for these interesting uh historical uh trends and all that stuff so i i think it absolutely should come back when I was a kid watching Peyton hold that thing over his head, I was like, they just want championship. But little did I know <laughs> things were happening. And I'm sorry. I think the beer barrel is the most fascinating thing in the world. And I hate the fact that it's just sitting in an equipment office and some people are picking up it. And, oh, it's a beer barrel. Cool. Hey, hand me that helmet if you would. It's just like, no, it's the freaking beer barrel. I'm sorry. I'll put it up for auction. I don't know how much money I'm going to be able to bid to get try to get it, but guess what? I'm going to get that sucker raised higher and higher. Last word from you, Ryan. How does Tennessee beat Kentucky on Saturday? I hate doing the whole generic low-hanging fruit cliche of what are the keys to the game, but let's be real. If Tennessee has problems beating Kentucky and Lexington a week after Alabama, we will have some problems. And when I mean we, I mean the University of Tennessee and us covering because they're going to have a lot more questions than answers. Maybe my, my orange-tinted glasses are on, but I really don't see Tennessee having too much trouble with Kentucky this week. And I think Tennessee – I, I, I think they win by probably double digits. I don't think it'll be a blowout. I, I don't think it'll be a blowout, but I think that's like a 12 to 14 pretty comfortable down-the-stretch type of win for Tennessee. I think uh, obviously their, their defense is going to have to stuff Ray Davis, but – that matches up pretty well for Tennessee because it's a really good run stop. On the other side, Kentucky's defense can sometimes have issues stopping the run. I think Tennessee's going to be able to get that going. We didn't really see that against Alabama. I think Jalen Wright, Jabari Small, Dylan Sampson, that, that trio has the potential to bust out some big runs. We've seen Jabari Small in the past. I feel like he always has a lot of success against Kentucky. So 
maybe kind of for the first time this year, he'll, he'll be the one of the trio that has their breakout game. And then their safeties have also had some issues as well. And, and they've been a good defense at taking away kind of the, the big plays, but that's not really what Josh Heupel's offense has been this year. So I think Tennessee goes into Lexington, doesn't have an immense amount of trouble, probably gets out to an early lead like they did against Alabama, but comes out of halftime and, and plays a lot tighter and ends up coming away with not a blowout, but a comfortable win in Lexington. Noah Taylor, last word from you. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I pretty much agree with Ryan. I, I think maybe it'll be a little bit closer, but kind of like Ryan said, one of those games where Tennessee kind of puts a score in late to kind of put it away in, in the fourth quarter. Um, I, I find it hard to believe that you'll see this, the kind of second-half breakdown that they had against Alabama two weeks in a row. Um, it will be interesting. It's at night. I mean, the last two trips there have been incredibly close. You know, 2019, you had the goal line stand, um, which, you know, one of the bigger wins of the Pruitt era. And then, like he mentioned earlier, that 21 game in Heupel's first year, a game Kentucky was going for the win there at the end, and, and Tennessee comes up with a big stop. Um, I think it'll be a lot more low scoring than that game was. Uh, but like we mentioned earlier, Tennessee can win those kind of games, and I think they they will this time as well. Um, but I, I'm trying to think of, of the crowd noise. It's hard to it's hard to hear uh, when you're behind the glass at some of these places. I, I can't really tell you how loud Alabama was um, from where we were at. Uh, but I, I feel like Lexington will be a little bit more difficult for Tennessee at night uh, than maybe Bryant Denny was. Um, maybe that's a crazy take. Uh, but I, I think they'll be able to handle that uh, environment and, and come out with a win uh, probably by one score, maybe a little more. It's Ryan. It's Noah. It's the checkerboard chatter. Come on, $9.99 a month. And what are you running into? Exclusive coverage of feet in the facility. These two guys, I know a lot of cats. I know a lot of dudes on the beat, almost all of them. These two are the hardest working cats I know. And they always find a way to make things work out, not only for you, not only with the types, but also with the visuals as well. For Ryan, for Noah, Tyler, stay with us on the Vol Report covering your Tennessee football program.